Well, good morning, West Ridge Church. What's up? I'm excited about being here. Every time I have an opportunity to share in this way, I'm just so grateful and thankful. Uh, this is my church home, and I'm, I'm glad to be home worshiping with you guys this morning. And I, I, let me tell you this. I walked here. No, I was just playing. I'm just playing. I didn't really walk. But I'm glad to be driving into church this morning. I'm excited about being here. And guess what, guys? I get a chance to join in on this series that we're in called Epic. Epic speaks to the fact that despite whatever is going on around us, that God is still sovereign. God is in control, and God is writing this epic story that overshadows everything that we may see, hear, and experience in this world. I love what Wayne Gruton says. He says this, God is both infinite and intimate. And as it is my tradition, I would like to read our passages of scripture, and pray and jump right in. You guys ready? Let's turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And we'll read verses 28, verses 28 through 33. Daniel chapter 4. And it reads, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, And at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses." That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven out from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Let us pray. God, be with us this morning and remind us that it's your love, your unconditional love, that you desire to bestow upon us all. Uh, Remind us that you're constantly pursuing us through your good news of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Remind us that it's absolutely nothing we can do to earn your love because of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. Encourage those of us that are experiencing seasons of pruning and affirm to others Uh, just to stay focused and to continue to bear the fruit that you long to see us to bear. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Be with us today, Lord. Show up and get glory. It is in your name we pray 
and ask it all. And the church said, amen. Has life ever humbled you? Like, have you ever been in a place where God was trying to teach you a spiritual lesson about pride? Or, or maybe this, maybe you're the person that has prayed this prayer. Lord, give me more patience and make me more like your son, Jesus. Humble me, Lord. And how many of you know that is a dangerous prayer, right? Man, when I was reading this chapter, chapter four, it took me back to a time when I was 16 years old where I experienced like this, this major humiliation. I was 16 years old and I'm a teenager and you can probably attest to this that you've been a teenager and you were humiliated. I'll never forget, I was working all summer and uh, I saved my money <laughs> and I'm just climbing up because guess what? I'm about to buy me a car with my hard-earned money. And this is the car. I'll never forget it. It was an Oldsmobile, uh, 1984. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm a teenager, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, you know, stock up on cool points. And all teenagers want to do this at this time. And I saved up. I purchased my car. It was my money. Worked all summer for it. And I'll never forget having this conversation uh, with my grandma. I said, Grandma... <laughs> I'm on your level now. Look, look, I'm, I'm kind of on your level now. Uh, I got my car with my money. And uh, she says, son, I'm so proud of you. But I want you to do one thing. I, I want you to have this car checked out. Because it was a previous owner. You know, you got to check the motor, check the oil, check the spark plugs, uh, check everything about this car. And I'm like... Man, this is my car. I paid for this. I'm on, I'm, look, I'm, I'm up here now, you know? And I'm on this level. And I was high up as a teenager. And I'll never forget, <laughs> I saved some more money. And I took that car to Mako. Remember Mako? They used to have all those deals. <laughs> 99 this, 199 that. And I saved up $200. And guess what? I put that car in the shop and it came out looking like this. Yeah, I had a matching outfit. Yeah, I was high up. I mean, I was high up as a teen. Like, this is a teenager's dream to take this car. What does my grandma know about checking on the inside of this? And I'll never forget, I ignored her. And I I got this car all dressed up. It was a beauty on the outside. Put stereo rims. I mean, the whole nine on this car, right? And I'll never forget, I was going, and I was trying to take this car to a football game. There's a football game coming up. Because I wanted to pick up my friend, go to the football game, stand outside the car, and just look like this, you know? I'm just real high up, right? (laughs) So I did that. I was driving the car all week, and I, I, I go to this football game. I'll never forget picking up my friends, going to this football game, and the football game ends and after the football games end, I'm just like the normal teenager just standing out there trying to get my shine on, you know, <laughs> standing outside this car. And guess what? Uh, I hopped in the car and uh, I started to crank it up and we we're about to pull off. And then guess what happens? The check engine light comes on. What? The check engine light comes on. And guess what happens? The motor goes out. I had got all these warnings. I'll never forget listening to my grandmother's voice. I had got all these warnings. She said, son, make sure you get the inside checked out. And this is kind of like the best spiritual illustration that I can show you about how spiritual pride is. Because sometimes spiritual pride is just like this. On the outside, we look like we have it all together. On the outside, it looks like our marriages is doing healthy. On the outside, it looks like we're coming and we're building a relationship with God. 
but somehow on the inside, the check engine light of our hearts has gone off and God may be saying, the check engine light is going off. Maybe you need to forgive that person. The check engine light of your heart is going off and say, maybe you need to work on your marriage. Maybe you need to put this pride aside and work on your marriage. And these check engine lights go off in our heart and we ignore them and then guess what? We experience this inner death, this inner place of dryness. And this is just like spiritual pride. That is exactly what it does because maybe God is trying to somehow tell us, blink up, blink up and allow the spiritual check engine light of our hearts to come on just to say, son, maybe you need to put your pride aside and trust me. Maybe you need to put your pride aside and and, and truly trust that I can bring you out of the situation that you're in. Maybe you need to stop focusing so much on the external things and really start to focus in on the internal relationship that I desire to have with you. Maybe the check-ins light has come on. And maybe God is trying to use those warnings to tell you something. But when pride is at war with humility, you know what we do? We ignore it. And we get on our spiritual high horse. And we say, man, man I'm above what God may be trying to tell me right now. I'm, a, I'm above uh, maybe the promptings or the, the, uh, the, the, the warnings that my wife may be trying to tell me. I'm above everything or all of the circumstances that is going on in my life that God may be using to speak to me at this very moment. I'm above all of that. And we ignore all of the warnings because we live in a culture that is so focused on beautifying the externals that we forget to beautify the inside. Because God is more concerned about what he's doing on the inside of us than what we're doing on the outside for him. Come on. And here it is. We meet this king that has been warned by God. And God is telling, has been trying to tell this king this epic story of what it means to be humble because God's kingdom overrules and overrides every single thing. We meet Nebuchadnezzar. He's about to have a second dream in chapter four. It's been 30 long years since he's had his first dream. Daniel was the one to give him the interpretation of this first dream of this image being crushed down. And God is like kind of been hitting at this king that, man, you, like, I know you have a kingdom. I know you, you're growing and advancing and you, you have this great, glorious kingdom. And I know that you see yourself as being the ultimate king. But here it is. I'm God. And I want you to know that my kingdom usurps everything that you're building. God warned Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 1 when the three Hebrew boys in Daniel denounces eating the king's portions. And God still shows up and makes them better. God warns Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 when uh, Daniel interprets this, this dream of this image and God shows him this vision of this image being crushed. And he's saying, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar. And instead, you know what he does in Daniel chapter 3? Nebuchadnezzar builds this image and tries to make everybody bow down to worship it. And guess what? 
God shows him. He's trying to give him another warning because guess who shows up in the fire? Jesus. Jesus shows up in the fire with the three Hebrew boys and delivers them from the fire. And here it is, Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has had this other dream of this big, great tree that's flourishing, that's providing nutrients for this entire kingdom. And he comes to Daniel. He's saying, Daniel, what does this mean? I had this dream that this tree is about to be chopped down. And Daniel says, you, great king, You are the tree. But guess what? You have this opportunity to repent. It says, repent, pursue righteousness, and be kind to the poor. You know what Nebuchadnezzar does? Instead of humbling himself, instead of heeding to the warnings that God is trying to show him through this beautiful epic story of pride versus humility, Nebuchadnezzar responds with this. He says, isn't this my kingdom, the one that I built with my power, the one that I built and established for my majesty? Isn't this my kingdom? And this is, isn't this what we all tend to do sometimes and become just like Nebuchadnezzar? We get this attitude where we have this high up mentality where this is my decision. This is my life. These are my rules. And guess what happens when, when pride begins to seep in? Our attitudes shift. Yeah, our attitudes shift. We go from looking at what God has done for us and and looking, trying to discern what God is doing on our behalf to, to, to saying, look at what I'm doing, God. Look at me. This is my world. I would like to control this. This is what I'm, I have going on. And we develop these attitudes that are totally contrary to what God is trying to show us. God is trying to teach us that no matter where we find ourselves in our lives, that his kingdom is supreme, that he rules, that he reigns, that he's able to literally shape and fashion the plans of our lives. And our attitudes begin to change. Let me ask you something important. Where have your attitudes shifted? How have you allowed pride to just creep in? Where it goes, it goes from this, this little shift, this subtle shift from this is what God is doing to this is what I am doing. We got to understand this, that God gives grace, but also God corrects. That, that God, yes, we, we serve a God that gives grace, but we also serve a God that is more, uh, more concerned about our spirit, the spiritual climate of what's going on the inside. And some of us, some of us, if we're really honest, we could become like the little teenager or even Nebuchadnezzar where we say, I'm more concerned about the facade. I'm more concerned about what's going on on the outside. And how many of you know that it's our attitudes and when we are grounded in the the fruit of the Spirit is where God gets most glory. 
God longs for us to be more, more joyful, more peaceful, more loving, more long-suffering, more kind toward one another, have more goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We need to get in alignment with our attitudes, with our Father in heaven, and start pushing back against our kingdom and, our, and what we, how we see ourselves standing in our own universe. God doesn't want to be not in the center of your universe. He doesn't want you to be in the center of your universe. He wants to be in the center of your universe. It was St. Augustine that said this. He says, don't you know it was pride that changed angels into devils? It was pride. And you know what? A true test of a Christian's character is what he or she does after everything has left him or her except Jesus. How many of you have been in a place where you've been tempted to have this high up mentality and just forsake everything that you know to be true because you're leaning into pride? Another thing that pride does is causes us to make poor decisions. When you read verse 31, I mean, while the king is still speaking, regardless if it's going to affect everybody in the kingdom, regardless if it's going to affect everybody around him at the time, while he is still speaking with this high up mentality saying, this is about me, this is about my power, this is about my majesty, while he is still speaking, God's voice says, the kingdom has departed from you. How many of you know that when pride creeps in, we start to make poor decisions and those poor decisions not only affect our lives, but they start to affect everybody around us. That's what pride does. This king had multiple opportunities. And when we meet him in the passage, he has this dream and God allows an entire year to go by for him to make the right decision. I just want to encourage you today that if God has been nudging at your heart, trying to show you these signs to to kind of guide your life through the word or through your experiences, or even sometimes God will have these people, these representatives say things that maybe God is trying to just say to you, don't wait. Because waiting to be obedient to God can sometimes cause you to make poor decisions. I want to tell you this. When making decisions, we must ask this this question. Is this the best decision that will honor God and serve others? When your back is against the wall and you have this choice of going up this ladder and making it all about yourself or coming down and humbling yourself before you make a poor decision, you have to ask this question, is this God honoring? Because if I make this decision, will it affect God? Will it give God glory? Will it all be about me? You know, we've got to stop making decisions that are all about being above God's commands. Why? Because we set ourselves up. Every time we try to put ego in, to edge God out, we set ourselves up to be humble. 
The king's entire kingdom is taken away from him. And God is telling this story, this epic story of pride versus humility. God allows King Nebuchadnezzar to come down, make a poor decision, and literally use that as a platform for teaching him the greatest lesson of his life. You know, it was D.L. Moody that says this. He says, you know what? God sends no way, no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. God literally wants to use wise counsel to guide you, to protect you, to, 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 to like just give you the wisdom that you need on this spiritual journey that we're on as believers. And we have to push against pride with just saying, God, I want the best decision to be made because I want to honor you. I want to honor you. You know what? When I was preparing for this message, I knew it would be hard. Because our minds, as soon as we hear this word humility, we think all these negative things. But there's good news in humility. There's good news in making God the center of our universe. Because after God allows King Nebuchadnezzar to have it all snatched away. God uses the humility in his life for three things. The first thing he does, he uses humility in his life for some heart correction. You see, Nebuchadnezzar needed some heart correction. God had warned him in two dreams that he needed to reverence God as the sovereign God who was in control of the entire universe. He was basically saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't care how big your kingdom is, it's about my kingdom. And after King Nebuchadnezzar had lost it all, let's read his thoughts in verse 34. He says, at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. God used this this king's humble place to correct his heart. Most times we look at this heart correction as a bad thing, but it's actually in place for our growth. When we're truly humble, when we truly get in the posture to say, God, I want whatever it is that you desire. My heart is open. God can use this place to give you your greatest growth where you're looking at God to say, God, man, I'm growing. I'm bearing fruit. I'm experiencing new life more over and over and over again because I'm surrendering it all to you. God, break my heart so I can grow in you because when people see me, I don't want them to see me high and lifted up. I want them to see Jesus high and lifted up. God is more concerned with him being the main priority in our universe than us being the main priority in our universe. Ask yourself, how's God been trying to correct my heart? How's he been trying to get me to come down, just come down and humble yourself 
so you can bear the fruit that he desires to see in your life. God also uses humility to remind us who's in control. You know, God sometimes using use these humbling phases of our life to remind us that God is the one who directs, that God's and controls everything that happens in this earth. As Nebuchadnezzar goes down to verse 35, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand, God's hand, or say to him, what have you done? The king finally got it. But it was after he experienced the fall of pride. How many of you know that God is not trying to use your humble place to punish you? He's trying to use this place to show you that you can trust him. To lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways to trust and acknowledge him because he's the one that directs your path. God is the director of our paths, paths, not us. And I don't care, you, we could get up, and I, I'm from African-American church, you could be like the choir director and trying to direct everything and, and stand up high. But how many of you know, it doesn't matter how high we get. If we get up as high as ever, if we get up high and we make it all about ourselves, we also make ourselves a target for God's correction. And sometimes a public fall. And maybe your fall may not be blasted all across social media, but maybe fall may be in the family. Maybe it may be on your job. Maybe it may just be inside where you feel like everything has died just like that rusty car. But oh, there's more good news. Because God uses our humble place or uses humility to put our redemption on display for his glory. God used Nebuchadnezzar's fall to bring him to a place where he was able to be restored. And in verse 36, Nebuchadnezzar says, man, after I was broken, after this same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselor and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Man, God used this man's redemption to put himself on display to show that God was deserving of all glory and all power. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream where this this tree, this great and mighty tree was chopped down, but God left a stump. Some of us focus so much on what we've lost that we can't focus enough on what God has left us. A stump. God uses a stump. God uses a humbling place to restore Nebuchadnezzar after he's gotten down on his knees, after he's humbled himself in the posture of his heart, he restored everything. And I'm so great that God uses this theme of humility all throughout Scripture. It's interwoven all throughout the history of Scripture because God used the story of humility to save all of us so we can be in right relationship with God. 
God the Father in heaven. What do I mean? Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that Christ, being in the likeness of men, he humbled himself even to the point of the cross and death. In Romans chapter 5 verse 19 it says that to one man sins or disobedience, everybody experienced sin, but to another man's obedience, Christ's obedience, we all experience righteousness. Don't we serve a great God that will use the story of humility to show us that God is glorious. And I don't care what it is that you've carried in here. You may be the person that's been far, far removed from church. Or you may be the person that's just been having your back against the wall and you've been the center of your universe. And it's just like I remember my salvation story. And I don't know if you remember yours, but if you could just think back to the place you were humble. It was almost like you were in a blind spot, a dark spot, and you couldn't find your way. And God was just humbling you. He was allowing you to stumble and then he was still pursuing you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, pursuing you through his son that gave it all up. And you almost even bumped into the very thing that you thought would bring you glory and that you were standing on. But you came to realize that Christ was the one who gives light. Christ is the one who sets me free. Christ is the one who's able to restore and redeem and put me in a place where I need to be. And then the blinders fall off and we can say I once was a child I once was acting like a child but now I'm a man I once was lost but now I'm found I once was blind but now I can see God uses humility and I don't know who I'm talking to this morning But it's this message, this epic story that God is telling. He's saying, man, it doesn't matter where you find yourself, I'm still God. Pause, pause. Maybe it happened for you to pause. Maybe that occurred in your life so you could see that it's about my kingdom. Maybe, maybe you've been frustrated up here you're starting to really figure out that you can't feel the void in your heart by yourself. Many theologians would say we're all born with this God void that only Jesus can feel. Maybe it's you that's been like, man, I can do this thing on my own. I can carry this on my own. I don't need church. I don't need religion. I don't need any of that because it's all about me. And God is trying to tell you that even in your rebellion, I've left you a stump because I see you growing. I see you returning. Just come home. Come home in your heart. Come home. Come on, put pride aside and work on your marriage. I know the communication is off, come home. Come home, put, put the family dissension apart, forgive. Come home, come home. Put, put who hurts you in church aside, come home. Come home and trust me more. We live in a culture that makes it all about us makes it all about the profile, right? 
the profile. It's all about the profile, what we can post, what we can share, what we can put out into the world, not understanding that that's driving us further and further and further into this prideful state. And the Bible says, God, resist the proud. Who wants to be resisted by God? And I want to pray for salvation because there's some people in here where God has not given up on you. It's all about his love. It's all about what he's trying to pour out into your life. And God is saying, don't, don't, don't focus on what you've lost. Focus on what I've left you. Focus on what you have left. And, and what we have left is this word that never changes our relationship with Jesus that never changes. The Bible says heaven and earth can move and shake. But one thing that we can stand upon is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love how Matthew like personifies Jesus or put him, puts him in comparison to winds that come and beat against a house. And it falls because it's on sand. But those who are placed their faith on the rock. The winds can come. The earthquakes can come. The tornadoes can come. The the failures can come. All of it can come, but it pales in comparison to our relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Pray for this. If that's you, you've been feeling like God. I've been prideful. I've been running. And if I'm honest, I've made it all about me, but now I want to make it all about you. If you pray this prayer and just say, God, I believe that you are the God of the universe. That you're the same God. You never change. And that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. You saw me in spiritual pride. You saw me dealing with death. You saw all of this, but yet you chose to send eternal life my way. And today, I believe and I accept Jesus into my heart. I want to be the stump that's going to bear new life and God we pray this prayer of humility Lord make us more like Jesus because you're more interested in a humble church in humble Christians who will lay it all down where in our brokenness in our sufferings We don't even care because we understand that you can use it, our redemption, our stories, to bring yourself glory. Jesus was sacred. Jesus was pure. Jesus was honest and long-suffering. And most importantly, Jesus was obedient even to the point of the cross and death. Give us that heart so we can give it all up to honor you, to reverence you, to adore you, to stand in awe of you. Break us in places so that our breaking can redeem other people. And add other people into your your great kingdom. 
Give us humility when pride wants to creep in and when doubt is telling us not to trust. Give us your heart, Lord, and make us humble. Make us humble. It's in your name we pray and ask it all. And the church said, amen.